Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency for the New Spectator USA website. Today's Americano is going to be a bit different. We're hearing from Matt McDonald, who is our managing editor at Spectator USA, and he has been in Miami hearing the Democratic debates. And in the spin room after last night's debate, he caught up with John Hickenlooper, who's one of the presidential candidates, and he asked him how he got along. Okay, so how do you feel that tonight went? Do you feel that you got a fair shake? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you always want more time on camera. I mean, that's just the nature of these things. But, uh, you know, Vice President Biden, uh, Senator Sanders, you know, they... I mean, we knew they were going to get a lot of questions and they're going to get a lot of attention. We knew Kamala Harris, you know. Uh, I mean, again, I don't think there were big surprises. You weren't one of the more confrontational, and there was a lot of confrontation there on, on the stage tonight. Was that a conscious choice? Was that part of the strategy? No, I, you know, we took the questions as they came, and we didn't try to manufacture confrontation, because that's not how politics really works best, I would say. Right. And we were trying to make sure that the... That the you know, our point of view is that socialism isn't the solution. Right. That what we've done in Colorado, we, we, we didn't uh, demonize business. We brought business to the table with nonprofits and with government. And we did big progressive things, right? We got to, to near universal health care coverage. We became the number one economy in the country. We passed universal background checks in a purple state. We reduced teen abortion by 64%. We legalized marijuana and in that process we transformed our justice system. I mean, those are big progressive achievements that, you know, nobody else up there has really done things. Right. But fundamentally, isn't the distinction you make a linguistic one socially, as in, uh, as in, it's, in terms of what is and isn't socialism? Oh, sure. Well, my, my biggest point is that so many of those candidates on the stage will not clearly say, I'm not a socialist, and, and, and I don't support the, uh, these socialist programs. Uh, look at the, they all support the, 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 you know, uh, Medicare for all. Medicare care for all requires our government to forcibly remove 180 million people from their private insurance, right. whether they want it or not. You, I don't know if that's socialism or not, but it's pretty close. Okay. Right? And no one's, no one's t- going against it. Same thing with the, the, the Green New Deal. The, we're talking about guaranteeing a government job to every American. Again, I don't know if that's socialism, but again, it's pretty close, and no one's distancing themselves. If we're not careful, we will end up helping to reelect the worst president, I would argue, in, in, in American history. And the Republicans are going to call us socialists if we are not full-throated in our denial. They'll paint us into a corner, and we'll lose this election. So would you say you're more of a conscientious, progressive capitalist? Yes. Right? Exactly. I'm, I mean, I've done the big progressive things that people said couldn't be done. And, and we brought business and, and, and nonprofits to the table to work with government. When we did methane regulations, no other state in the history of this country had ever succeeded in getting the oil and gas industry to really take in to, to, to address fugitive emissions. Methane is 25 times worse than CO2. They vented it. They flared it. We took the time. It took months and months. I mean, these people hate each other. It's like, it's like Coke and Pepsi, mm. right? And, but we finally got them and in, into the same room. It took 14 months of negotiation. But our methane regulations are now being rolled out as a national policy in Canada. They've, uh, California's copied them. And, you know, it, it's the equivalent in, just in Colorado of taking 320,000 cars a year off the road 
and the oil and gas industry paid for it. We need to make that national, and, and not only national, it's got to be international, right? The, all the things that we do in the United States, they're, they're useful as best practices. Right. But if we can't get India and China, and that's the whole, we didn't talk that much about foreign relations mm -hmm. and how the disintegration of our alliances, just how much work that's going to make to, to really address climate change or pandemics like you, or, or cybersecurity. We don't have any protocols for cybersecurity. That's, I was hoping that some of those other questions we would have gotten a, a little deeper but, on. But then a lot of, internationally speaking, you know, the populist surge which brought Donald Trump's power, that's happening in a lot of other places. Like you see Modi in sure. India, you see, you know, across Europe, you know, these, these small leaders. So is there, is there, in terms of leading the world, and leading the world order. Do you think that you know your campaign or the the de like that now is the time for Democrats to turn that tide back? No, I, I yes, I, I absolutely think that we can successfully approach you know all those countries where they have you know nationalist spikes, right? A, right. a big surge in interest in, in, in nationalist policies and provide a, an alternative self-interest, right? Collaboration and compromise happens when you have an alignment of self-interest. And that's really just a function of listening to the other side and really exploring what do you really want. And oftentimes, you know, when I got elected mayor of Denver in 2003, they hated the suburbs, like almost every big American city. Mm -hmm. And it took me a year and a half, but we got all 34 mayors, 21 of them Republicans, two-thirds Republicans, to unanimously support a tax increase. So 21 Republicans support a tax increase to build what we call Fast Tracks, the, the largest transit initiative in modern American history. Everyone said, oh, no, they hate each other. They'll never do it. It's just work. It's just time. You, you listen to people, and once they feel heard, and you really focus on where can we find some alignment, you begin to get that alignment, then you go on to the next step, and then the next step. It's, it's called diplomacy. Right. We used to do it all the time. Our greatest generation in this country, after World War II, that's why we built NATO. That's, that's why NATO was the first, what, 26, I guess, mm -hmm. strategic alliances that are now in disarray. We've got to rebuild that. And it's not just for climate change, but it's for uh, pandemics, and it's yeah. it's for cybersecurity. It, it sounds Governor, like Democrats are primed to win an argument, but I don't know. Are they getting ready to win an election? Because it seems like those two different things are happening. Well, that's my argument. Is is that I think we have the right policies, but we have to win in states like Ohio, and Michigan, North Carolina, and in those states, you can't come in and say, "Well, we're kind of socialist, but we're kind of not," and we're you got to clearly say, we're not socialists, right? We believe in open markets, right? And, and here's the, the way we're going to get to universal health care. And it's not going to be taking private insurance away from 180 million people. Governor, were you able to make that point effectively tonight, do you believe? Well, it was, I, I could have used some more time to make that point. But it was out there, right? And, and I think people who are watching at home, you know, will, will think back and say, yeah, that guy actually got stuff done. He was the one guy who's actually done the big progressive things that everyone else is just talking about. Yeah. We'll see. Is Another that a bipartisan that... tie, by the way? Is what? that a bipartisan this necktie? This is a bipartisan necktie. How nice of you to notice. That's excellent. <laughs> one, one other issue which Colorado's kind of led America on, uh, which you didn't get to touch on the debate, is cannabis legislation. Um, what do you think a national rollout or a federal rollout of the legalization of cannabis would, would look like and how easy to pass would it be? And, or does it depend on the Senate you get? No, I think a lot of it could be done through regulations. You need some, some legislation, but I believe, I mean, we did not see a spike in teenage consumption, which we feared. We have not seen a giant increase in people driving while high. You look at the old status quo, where we were sending hundreds of thousands, millions of kids to, to prison, making them felons, this is an infinitely better system. And I think states are the laboratories of democracy. 
and the federal government needs to decriminalize it on a federal level. Uh, they need to decertify it as a, as a Schedule One narcotic so we can actually test it. FDA can tell us which forms of uh, autism or, or, or seizures that it really works for. Are there you know, negative side effects that we don't know about yet? We've done, no one's done any testing on cannabinoid or, or marijuana, at least in this mm -hmm. country. So we need to do all that. We have to make sure the FDA allows us to understand are, are we using the wrong pesticides when the people that are growing uh, cannabis and, uh, and, and selling it commercially? All that stuff has to, to come together in real time. You have to be able to bank it. Right. The states that choose to, to legalize marijuana should be able to do so in concert without breaking federal laws, in concert with federal, federal statutes. So that big challenge is we're a ways from it. But I think after the election, it should be fairly easy. I mean, two-thirds of the American people live in a state where some form of, of marijuana has been legalized. Right. Is there a message you hope to get out tonight that you weren't able to? No, I think I got the message out. I just didn't get it out three or four times. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to win in this game, you've got to say the same thing at least three or four times, and I only said it twice. Governor, Governor I know you practiced Governor. moments with Bernie Sanders where you could show a difference between capitalism and socialism. You were given that opportunity at the start of the debate, and you chose to talk about yourself, and you didn't really go after Sanders. What was with the, the strategy there? Well, the strategy was really to try and, and define what we were about and to make sure that we demonstrated that you don't need socialism, you don't need massive government programs to do the big progressive things. And that we wanted to make sure that that the, the American people recognize that, you know, Colorado's done this stuff, right? We've got near universal health care. We're the number one economy in the country for the last three years. We've got an apprenticeship uh, program that we created that's being rolled out to 22 other states. These things are done uh, without massive uh, government uh, expansions. They're not socialist. And I think the Democrats need to be very clear about saying we're not socialists. So, Governor, given your views on socialism, how concerned are you about the direction of the Democratic Party? Well, I'm a little concerned, but I think we'll come. I mean, you know, the Democratic Party is a little bit how Winston Churchill described the American people. They, you can always count on, count on them on doing the right thing. But sometimes not until they've exhausted all the other options. But, but and Governor, what was your big moment tonight? What, do you, what stood out, Sean? Well, what I thought, did you stand out? I thought that the, the opportunity to talk about the, the pragmatic, progressive achievements that Colorado has done without massive government expansions and to be able to point out that, you know, we don't want to take away forcibly have our government take away private insurance from 180 million Americans. I mean, those are, they're not popular for some people to hear, but they're important. If we aren't clear that we're not socialists, the Republicans are going to paint us into a corner. They're going to call us socialists every morning, noon, but and night. isn't Medicare itself socialist? Isn't Social Security socialist? It's Social Security. No, no, uh, Medicare, uh, well, let's go, let's go into Social Security. Social Security, the employer pays in, the, the uh, employee pays in, now that money is, is banked, as it were, uh, with the federal government. That's not a giant government expansion, expansion or expenditure. Now, Medicare is certainly a, a, a large program, but it's not anything like Medicare for All. Right, so I'm not saying that you. It I'm not saying I, the government is funding. So and I, I believe. Trust me, I believe in regulations. Right, we got the oil and gas industry to pass the first, you know, the uh, first methane regulations in the United States. I believe in regulations. Uh, I believe in, in government programs that, that, that work and are efficient and, and provide services to, to the American people. I don't see how we get to 
I mean, here's what I propose for. And is it the word socialist that bothers you? Well, it's part of it because you lose elections if you don't distance yourself from words where there's a lot of misinterpretation that are easily, you know, there are rumors that start and, and people say one thing or another about socialism and all of a sudden every Democrat's a socialist. Democrats have to be very clear that we're not socialists. You know, in terms of getting universal health care, which I support, right? I wrote a letter to the editor of a small New England newspaper in 1978 saying health care is a right, not a privilege. I've never backed off on that, but I propose a single, uh, similar to what Mayor Buttigieg says, that you have a public option, um, something like Medicare, maybe Medicare Advantage, and people who can't get private insurance or they don't like their private insurance, they migrate to it. As that scales up and becomes larger, the price comes down, the quality improves, more people migrate. You could end up in 10 or 15 years with Medicare for all, but it would be an evolution and not a revolution. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano. And I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite. 